You are listening to the teaching podcast of Praise Community Church in Mason City, Iowa. For more information about our church, please visit praisecc.org. I love that part where he talks about, you know, to take what was unforgivable and to make it forgivable, that that is the power, that is the uh, effective work of the cross of Christ. We've been kind of working our way through a series of messages, really kind of looking at Psalm 23. It's probably one of the most popular psalms. It's something uh, we hear uh, often in many different uh, settings. And we've kind of been focusing on kind of some of the challenges uh, that we face in our daily lives and how uh, many of those challenges we do face on a day-to-day basis are found there in Psalm 23, as well as what is God's response? I mean, what is his answer? answer to those challenges, those difficulties we face. First, we kind of looked at the issue of worrying. We all worry, right? We worry about a lot of different things. And we, we worry um, just about worrying, right? Uh, and so there in the very beginning, uh, David writes, the Lord is my shepherd. And because the Lord is our shepherd, he says, one of the outcomes, one of the benefits, one of the blessings of that is I have everything I need. So oftentimes the things that we're worrying about, food and clothing and shelter, uh, the scripture says, because the Lord is our shepherd, he is going to see to it that all of those things are provided and we need not worry about those things. Last time we looked at the issue of busyness and often how we become overwhelmed and we become very driven in our work, our day-to-day responsibilities. And again, God's response to that there is found in verse 2, he makes me. And again, there's times where God is going to force us into a place of rest. Oftentimes, again, because we're so driven, we're so busy uh, that we don't take the time to rest and and to give our bodies time to be uh, restored. So he makes us to lie down in green pastures and he leads us beside the still quiet waters. And again, God wants us to take time off from our busyness, our work, to rest, to be restored physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. This morning, I want to kind of look at our damaged emotions and what God's response is uh, to those can be found uh, just as well there in Psalm 23, and that is that statement, he restores my soul. Every one of us need to have our souls restored periodically. Every one of us in this room, we get hurt. Life is tough. We get beat up by discouragement. Val kind of talked about that this morning. We get beat up by depression, by despair. We often kind of experience fatigue. We have frustrations, failures, fears. We all have hidden hurts from our past. We carry wounds, we carry battle scars, we carry emotional garbage, and God wants to restore. He wants to use all of that. 
and he wants to restore our soul. And so how does God do that? He does that when you allow him to bring two changes into your life. The first change is let God relieve my pain and grief. Now, not all of the things in life that damage us are things that we do to ourselves. Sometimes we experience pain and grief in life because of the things that are done to us. Sometimes we have grief over seeing other people hurt. Maybe a loved one's going through a very difficult time and that produces pain and grief in us. The fact is every one of us in this room will be hurt in this life. We will experience loneliness, okay? This is not heaven, this is earth. It's imperfect down here. We're surrounded by imperfect people. We're surrounded by imperfect situations. And some days we're going to be lonely. Some days our hearts are going to be broken. Some days we're going to feel despair. Some days we're going to just feel totally alone. And some days we will experience sorrow, grief, and loss. And in those moments, what do you do? What do you do when your heart is breaking? What do you do when pain and grief overwhelm you in life? Again, oftentimes we, you know, maybe start and our response is to throw a pity party, right? Or we kind of get into the if only, if only I'd have done this, if only I had said that. We withdraw into our shells. We live in a cave or we just kind of begin to isolate ourselves from everyone. And we'll just say, I'll never, ever get close to anyone. I'll never, ever let anyone hurt me again. We kind of pull back and we just resign from life. And inevitably what follows is just more misery. Those are options. Or, as David says, we can allow God to restore our soul. Now David in the Bible, one of the many things that David was well acquainted with was grief and sorrow. David had days of great despair. David faced many, many difficulties. He understood how much it can damage our souls when we hurt. He reflects this in Psalm 31, verse 9. David says, Lord, have mercy because I am in misery. My eyes are weak from so much crying, and my whole being is tired from grief. Ever feel like that? Ever have days or moments like that where the grief and sorrow is so overwhelming? And so David is kind of saying to us, I know what it feels like to have a damaged soul. I know what it feels like to be in need of restoration. And sometimes, again, we grieve because of our own foolish actions. We do foolish things. We make dumb decisions. We get ourselves into all kinds of trouble. And we grieve over that. We, we regret. We replay all of that. Sometimes we grieve because people we love are hurting. And sometimes we grieve because of loss. And David in 2 Samuel chapter 12, he gives us uh, kind of some tips. He gives us some insight on how to handle overwhelming grief and pain. In this particular place in scripture, 
David had committed adultery with Bathsheba. You remember, he kind of added to that, that he, he arranged for her husband to be killed. And because of all that David had done, he begins to kind of experience this overwhelming grief and, he, and this guilt and shame over all that he had done. And you begin to see all of that being reflected there in Psalm 51. It's where he kind of comes to terms with the guilt, the shame. He kind of comes to terms with, with that overwhelmed feeling there. So I would say to you, if you're carrying guilt, if you're carrying shame, if you're carrying regret, Psalm 51 is a great psalm to turn to because it shows you how to begin to acknowledge that, to repent of that, and to be able to walk in, um, walk in God's forgiveness. So David has this adulterous affair with Bathsheba, and from that affair, you may remember, they have a baby. When that baby was born, the scripture says that baby was very sick, and David was grieved over that. And so David, he goes before God, and he kind of begins to pray, and he fasts, and he's basically saying, God, hey, Look, this baby hasn't done anything wrong. This is my sin. This is my shame. This is my guilt. Please don't make the baby pay for my mistakes. I'm the one who made the mistake. I'm the one who affected everyone else in this life in a negative way. Save the child. Save the baby. He's done nothing wrong. And we know from Scripture that the baby died anyway. And because of that, David is just, again, overwhelmed with grief. And what did David do with that grief? He did three things, and these are the same three things we need to do when we're dealing with our grief. The first thing that David did was he accepted what cannot be changed. He came to terms and accepted what could not be changed. Look at David's response in 2 Samuel chapter 12, verses 22 through 23. And this is, again, following the death of the baby. It says, Then David got up from the ground, and he said, While the child was still alive, I fasted and I wept. But now that he is dead, why should I fast? Can I bring him back to life? David's coming to terms with what happened here. He's, he's working now to understand this is where I'm at. I've done all I know to do. I've done all that I can do. Having done all of that, I now have to accept these circumstances. Most of us have been deeply hurt at one point in our lives, whether it's by a spouse, a friend, a coworker, our children, Regardless of what was done to us, all the grieving in the world will never change what was done to us. So the first step to emotional health and healing and restoration of our souls is acceptance. Don't have to like it. I may not understand why God allowed it. Why did I have to go through that? You may not understand that, but it's just coming to terms of just accepting, this is where I am. This is what has happened. God is with me. God has a purpose and a plan for this. So again, it's accepting what cannot be changed. I can't change the past. Wishing it away, wishing it hadn't happened, 
won't change what happened. I cannot change the hurts that I've experienced. None of us can. So again, acceptance is the first step to just opening yourself up, allowing God to restore our soul, to heal our mind, our will, and our emotions. So that first key to peace of mind, accept what cannot be changed. Secondly, second thing that David did was he played it down and he prayed it up. He played it down and then he prayed it up. And what I mean by that is don't exaggerate it. How many of us have something happen and we kind of take that and we want to make it much bigger than it really was? And so David says, don't, don't do that. Don't exaggerate it. But just give it to God. Release it to God. Surrender it to Him. Again, every one of us in life are going to be hurt. And I've said this before. I'll say it again. Pain is inevitable. Misery is an option. Right? The Bible says, blessed are those who mourn. But there comes a point where we can take our mourning and we can turn it into prolonged moaning. The Bible says, give it to God. Surrender it to Him. Pray about it. Pray about all things. Psalm 37 says, commit your way unto the Lord. And that's every way. It's every circumstance. It's every situation. It's committing it to God. Whether you're responsible for it or someone else is responsible for it, you're committing that circumstance, that situation, yourself, everyone involved in that. You're just giving that. You're committing that to God for Him to do what only He can do with it. Instead of saying, this is devastating to me. I'll never, ever get over this. I'll never, ever be able to go on. Change that and say, God... I know what others intended for evil, you meant for good. I know that you can take whatever has happened here, and God, you can turn it and use it for good. 2 Samuel 12, 20 says, After David had washed, put on lotions, changed his clothes, it says he went into the house of the Lord and worshiped. David's response in that place of great grief and being overwhelmed in that tragic moment, the death of that baby, it says David kind of got up and he cleaned himself up and he went into the temple and he just began to worship God. David went to church. And in that, God was able to begin to give David a new perspective and the strength to carry on. The third thing is focus on what is left, not, what on, not what's lost. Focus on what you have and not on what you've lost. 2 Samuel 12, 24 says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba, and he went to her and lay with her. She gave birth to a son, and they named him Solomon. Again, some of us are going through grief. We're going through difficulties. We're going through challenges. And basically, what that encouragement to me that I take from this is that God was not finished with David. As great as David's sin was, God was not finished with him. God did not wash his hands of David and say, I'm done with you. I can never use you. I want nothing more to do with you. No matter what you're going through, God is not finished with your life.
He is not through with you. This, whatever you're going through, is not the end. It hurts. It's difficult. It's tiresome. It can be overwhelming. But it doesn't have to ultimately defeat you and devastate you. If you'll just open your life up to Christ and allow him to bring healing in the areas that you need it. And, and David basically just simply says, God, would you remove my grief? God, would you just take away my pain? The good news is, no matter what you're going through, if you're here this morning, it's God saying to you, I am not finished with you. This has not had the final word. What you're going through this morning, it has not had the final word. God says, I am the final word. Isaiah 61 verse 3 says, to all who mourn, he will give, and then he lists, beauty for ashes, joy instead of mourning, praise instead of heaviness. So again, we don't have to be a prisoner to our pain and to our grief. It all comes down to a choice. So we just, we come to God and we ask him, God, would you relieve my pain and my guilt? The second thing to restoring your soul is let God remove your pain and guilt. Many of us have, have dealt with guilt. Many of us have experienced shame. Nothing destroys a soul. Nothing has the potential to overwhelm us like guilt and shame. I love what Psalm 38 verses 4 and 6 says there. My guilt has overwhelmed me like a burden too heavy to bear. I am brought, bowed down and brought low all day long. I go about mourning. And so there again, David is able to identify, he's able to relate to those times where we experience guilt and shame. Again, oftentimes we kind of make the biblical characters into something that they're really not. We kind of make them into these great spiritual giants, you know, these people who never had any difficulties, never had any problems, never had any sorrows. And David, throughout the Psalms, he's very real, he's very honest, he's very raw about the things that he went through. And as you read the words of David, and you really look at what he's saying, many times you can kind of feel like, man, this guy really relates to me. He understands what life is really like. There are times of great joy. There are times of great victory. But also, David understood and experienced there, there are low points in life. There's struggles and difficulties. Now, here's two problems oftentimes with guilt. Number one, we all have plenty of reasons to feel guilty. I mean, right now, you can probably just go through a laundry list in your mind of all of the things that have caused you to feel guilt, uh, maybe just this last week. Every one of us in this room, we all deal with the sense of guilt. We all feel imperfect. We all feel like we make mistakes. We all feel like, you know, we've had failures. And so again, we've all experienced grief in our lives. It's, it's, it's nothing, and often again times, the enemy wants you to think it's just you. You're the only one that really experiences this level of guilt and shame. And yet when we're honest and we're kind of being 
open about that, we come to discover all of us share, all of us understand that. So again, we all have plenty of reasons to feel guilty. And the second common thing about guilt is we can't get away from it. We can't get away from it. At times, again, it just overwhelms us. It's, it consumes our mind. Again, even if you were to go to a new location to pick up and move to a whole different state, a whole new city, our guilt, our shame, those are things that oftentimes follow us. Proverbs 20, verse 27 says, the Lord gave us a mind and a conscience. We cannot hide from ourselves. As much as we try, we can't. So how do we get rid of guilt? How do we deal with the guilt in our lives? And again, there's a lot of options out there. You can deny it. You can pretend it doesn't exist. You can try to bury the past, but it doesn't work. If it's still alive, it'll resurrect itself. Just about the time you think it's buried, that feeling will come back into your mind. Something will happen that will trigger that moment, that memory. Denying guilt does not relieve, it does not remove guilt. Oftentimes people will try to minimize it. Well, that really wasn't that big of a deal. You know, my sin, it, it really wasn't that big of a deal. It didn't hurt anybody. Then why do we still remember it? Why can't we forget it? Minimizing it doesn't work. Now we can, we can compromise our guilt by just lowering our standards. If you feel guilty about something, you can say, you know what, I just don't believe that's wrong anymore. I used to think that was a sin, but I've changed my mind. It's no longer a sin. There was a fortune cookie one time that said, commit a sin twice and it won't seem like sin anymore. Commit a sin twice and it won't feel like a sin anymore. In other words, the 10th murder isn't really as difficult as the first one. It's true. If you just keep doing something sinful over and over and over, your conscience will eventually become seared to it. But again, that doesn't remove, it doesn't relieve the guilt. Now you can rationalize it and say, well, you know, everybody does it. And in the first place, everybody doesn't do it. That's just something the enemy is trying to get you to believe. Even if they did, justifying it by somebody else's behavior doesn't make it right. And it certainly doesn't make it any easier on you. Again, you can always find somebody who's worse than you are. Don't we do that a lot? We'll do something, and then we'll kind of start comparing ourselves to other people. Well, yeah, I did something bad, but boy, that person over there, they really did. And so we, we kind of just compare ourselves to others. And again, whenever I rationalize my guilt, I'm trying to convince my heart about something I know is wrong with my head saying, it's okay, it doesn't matter but your heart will always win out over your head. Now you can blame other people for your guilt. In our minds, we have, again, a scale between what I do wrong and what you do wrong to me. And we balance that. I feel bad about this, so I'll blame you for that. When you're blaming other people, again, it doesn't make it any easier on you. 
Oftentimes, too, a lot of times, we just beat ourselves up. We're really hard on ourselves. And somehow we just feel if we make ourselves feel bad enough, sorry enough, bad, you know, just horrible enough, that will somehow absolve and relieve the guilt. Inside, again, we know somebody has to pay for this. Somebody has to make this right. Somebody has to amend for this. Subconsciously, we set ourselves up to try to pay for, to absolve our own sin, our own guilt, our own grief. Let me ask you this question. Can guilt make you sick? Oh, you bet it can. Can guilt cause depression? Absolutely. Can guilt set you up for failure? Without a doubt. How many successful people go along fine and then cave in? Why? Because they're experiencing this little guilty feeling. You don't deserve to succeed. You don't deserve the good things that are happening in life. And oftentimes they'll just self-sabotage. Again, there's only one solution to your guilt. You've got to give it to God. He is the only one who can remove it. Listen to what Paul says in Romans 3, 23 through 24. He says, all of us have sinned. Folks, that includes everybody in this room. All of us, me included, all of us have sinned. Yet, in spite of that, Paul says, God declares us not guilty if. That's the conditional word there. If we trust in Jesus Christ, who in mercy freely fully takes away our sins. One of the most basic truths of Christianity is Jesus Christ through the cross has already paid for all your sins. Everything you and I have ever done wrong, no matter how little or how great that is, everything you and I have ever done wrong in this life has already been paid for through the cross. Every sin you've committed, every sin you'll commit today, every sin you will commit in the future, all sins, mistakes, failures, rebellion in your future have already been paid for if. If we trust in Christ, if we trust in his mercy that freely takes away our sins. We just need to ask God to forgive us. We just need to ask God to apply the work of the cross of Jesus Christ in and over our lives and our sins. We just need to accept it. That's, that's the part that we have the hardest time, I think, is just accepting the free gift of God's forgiveness. That's how our guilt, that's how our sins, that's how our shame will be removed. There's no other way. No psychologist can remove your guilt. And I'm not against psychologists. But if you're looking to them to relieve or to remove your guilt, they can't do that. 
But the creator of the universe does have the power and the authority. He has the willingness and the desire, and he has made a way for you and I to find and experience full and free forgiveness, and that is through the cross of Jesus Christ. It's not based, again, on how bad you've been, how much you've done, but on how good God is. What matters is not what you've done, but what matters is what Christ has already done for us. Again, Paul says, if we trust in Jesus Christ, how do we get forgiveness from God? Trust. Trust. You don't beg God. You don't have to bribe him. We took up offerings this morning. It wasn't so that you could somehow give enough to God that he would then grant you forgiveness. So you don't have to bribe. You don't have to beg. You don't have to bargain with God. The Bible says just believe. Just trust. Accept Jesus Christ's free gift. That's why it's such great news. It's a free gift. I can be forgiven. I can have the slate wiped clean. We can have a clear conscience. Now again, maybe you've asked God. Maybe you've, you know, you've done some things in your life that you just have horrible regret and guilt and shame. Uh, maybe, maybe you're living with the effects of sin in your own life or maybe in the life of people uh, close to you. You've asked God to forgive you many, many times and you still feel guilty. And again, no matter how many times you ask God, you just continue to feel guilty. All that simply means is you don't understand. You've not accepted how God forgives. You don't understand that when it comes to forgiveness with God, you've forgotten or you don't really understand how immediate, how free, how complete, how unconditional it is. How God wipes out the guilt the first time you ask with a sincere heart. See, again, if you keep asking God over and over and over to forgive you, you're saying you don't believe he forgave you the first time. And again, we would call that unbelief. And the scripture says anything that we do in unbelief is sin. If you feel guilty about a sin you've already confessed to God and you still feel guilty about it, I want you to know that guilt is not from God. That guilt is from the devil. And he's doing that because he wants you to continue to feel bad. He wants you to continue to feel uptight and anxious. He wants you to continue walking in that guilt and that shame. Do you realize before you commit a sin, Satan oftentimes minimizes the sin? Oh, that's no big deal. That's not going to hurt anybody. So before you commit the sin, he minimizes it. And then after you commit the sin, he says, oh, this sin is so big. Oh, God could never forgive you. So before the sin, he minimizes it. After the sin, he maximizes it. So how does God forgive? 
Paul says in Colossians chapter 2, 13 through 14, he says, God has forgiven all your sins. That God has utterly wiped out the evidence of broken commandments which always hung over our hearts and completely annulled it by nailing it to the cross. All your sins. Paul says all of your sins, both past, present, and future, all your sins. They are wiped out. They are completely annulled. And the truth of the matter is, when God forgives, he forgives completely, thoroughly, fully. He takes your sins and he throws them in the sea of forgetfulness. And he puts up a sign and says, no fishing allowed. No going back in to retrieve that. Some of us will, con will confess a sin to God and God forgives it. And then we just keep bringing it back to him over and over. And the amazing thing is when we get to heaven, we're going to find out that when we confess that sin the first time, God forgave it completely. And the beautiful thing is not only does God forgive, but he forgets. It's one of the most amazing things in the Bible. That the creator of the universe who made you and me can actually forget. Not that he can, but that he chooses to. He chooses to forget, to release that which has been confessed and forgiven. The Bible says he just wipes it completely away. That means, again, it's never going to be brought up again. When you have confessed a sin and God has forgiven it, you're not going to get to heaven. And then God's going to bring that up again. Oftentimes we kind of think that's what the judgment is. It's that God's just going to kind of like wipe every sin I ever committed in my face. No, 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 no. If it's been forgiven, if it's been dealt with, it's been forgotten. And it will never be brought up again. That's what it means to be paid for. How many of you worry about a bill after you've paid for it? I mean, I don't pay, you know, well, Janie pays our bills. Thank God. But I mean, you know, when we pay our electric bill, I don't sit there and worry about the electricity being turned off. When we pay our water bill, I don't sit there and worry that the water's going to be turned off. Once a bill's paid for, I don't worry about it. I don't think about it. Jesus on the cross said, it is finished. It is done. I have paid for your sins. Now again, if we believe that, what are you worried about? Why are you walking in guilt and shame over something that's been forgiven? If God forgets confessed sin, shouldn't we? Why keep beating yourself up over something God isn't beating you up over? If you really don't feel forgiven every time something goes wrong in your life, you're going to think, God's getting even with me. Yep, God allowed this to happen because of what I did, you know, last week, last year, last month. 
If you've put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, God's not going to get even with you because Jesus already took the punishment for your sin. That was why it was such a horrific death on the cross. All of us deserved what Jesus got. Every beating, every scourging, every, everything that Jesus took, that was ours. But he took it for us so we didn't have to. Let me just close with this. In Psalm 42, David prays his prayer, and he says, Why art thou cast down, O my soul, hope thou in God? Now, if you're familiar with any of the Psalms of David, you'll find this term, cast down, often in the Psalms. It, it, it was a phrase that David used repeatedly. And so what is, when he talks about that, what is a cast down soul? How do you have a cast down soul? Now in using that term cast down, David is using a phrase that was familiar to every shepherd and they would understand what David was referring to when he was talking about being cast down. Because cast down, it, it was a position that a sheep would get themselves into and not be able to get out of. Sheep are built in such a way that if they fall over on their side and if they kind of get completely on their back with their legs sticking straight up in the air, if you can kind of get that picture in your mind, a sheep just laying on the ground flat on its back, all four extremities kind of just there straight up in the air. That is a position that once a sheep gets in, they cannot recover themselves. They cannot get out of that position alone. They are helpless to get back up and on their feet again. And that position uh, was known to shepherds as a cast down position. It's frightening when a sheep falls down on its side and then its back. It, it kind of just begins to kick and to kind of flail in the air. It begins to bleed. It will cry out. It knows now it is open to attack. Any animal could come attack that sheep and they are utterly defenseless. It's a very serious condition. Now, when a sheep lay on their back, what begins to happen is gases kind of begin to collect in their stomach, and it kind of begins to harden the stomach, and it begins to cut off passage, their airway passage, and they will suffocate in a matter of hours. Not only that, but... Uh, their legs also kind of begin to go numb in that position because all of the blood kind of just begins to flow out of their, out of their legs. So on a hot day, a sheep in a cast down position can die within just a matter of hours and they can't do anything about it. They need a shepherd to restore their soul. Now, how does a shepherd restore a cast down sheep? Again, it doesn't happen immediately. It takes time to restore a cast down sheep. 
So what the shepherd would kind of begin to do when they would come upon a cast down sheep is they would begin to work the extremities of, of, the, of the legs of the animal. They would begin to kind of rub and they would begin to move. They would try to get blood flowing back into those extremities. And then they would take that sheep and they would just begin to slowly and very carefully roll that sheep back on its side. And they would begin to kind of stand that sheep up and then they would come in between the sheep and be able to support them with, with their legs. And then they would just begin to rub again the legs of the sheep. And they would begin to talk very, very calmly to the sheep. They want to assure the sheep, the shepherd is here. I've got you. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to restore you. And so that's what a shepherd would, would do. And eventually, the lamb would be able to fully recover. What a picture of what God wants to do for you and I when he talks about restoring our soul. When we find ourselves, you know, flat on our backs on the ground and all of our extremities are up in the air and we're open for attack and we're helpless and it's just a matter of time. David says, the Lord is your shepherd. And he comes to us and he begins to restore us. He begins to comfort us. He begins to soothe us. He begins to uh, work in those areas where we're, where we're uh, hurting, where we've lost hope. And, and he picks up the little lamb and he kind of again sets us back up on our feet. And again, this is a picture of what Jesus wants to do for us in restoring our soul. So I'm here to just encourage you this morning, if for any reason you kind of feel cast down, he's the only one who can pick you up to restore you and to get you back on your feet, to get you back on that path of life. And when he restores your soul, he's restoring your confidence, your joy, your peace, and your strength. Jesus Christ wants to heal your soul. How does he do it? Let me close with this. Job 11, verses 13 through 16. says, put your heart right. Reach out to God. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will, face from your mem will, will flee from your memory like a flood that are past and remembered no more. Again, Jesus will restore your soul. So we just need to allow him, invite him, and let him be the shepherd and savior of our soul. Let's stand together this morning. Father, we just thank you that you are the restorer of all things. And all means all. And Father, this morning, there are just areas in every one of our lives here this morning where you want to restore, where you want to heal, where you want to comfort, where you want to deliver. And God, we come against, I come against every thought, every work of the enemy that would keep us from accepting and receiving the help that you desire, the restoration that you desire to give to us. And Father, this morning that we again would just trust. 
Trust in the Lord with all your heart and that none of us would lean to our own understanding, but that we would acknowledge him in all our ways, all of our good ways, all of our bad ways, that we would acknowledge him in all our ways, and he is committed to making our path straight. Father, again, we just thank you for that picture of a cast-down sheep, and we thank you, Father, that you are the kind of shepherd who comes to us in those places of great despair, that, Lord, you come to us ready to pick us up, to restore, to soothe, to comfort us. And, Father, this morning, we again just, we, we just want to abandon, we want to just surrender ourselves to you as our shepherd that we are your sheep this morning and that you love us, that you are committed to us. And we thank you for your presence with us. And Father, we ask that you would go and just continue to be with us in this week, especially in those moments where we face trials and tribulations, where we face struggles. Again, Father, that we would be reminded that you are here to restore, to heal, to comfort, and to give us victory. And again, Father, we thank you for all that we're learning, all that we're seeing in this psalm. Father, help us to walk this out and to give you all of the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just Thanks say, for listening. For more information about Praise Community Church, including gathering times and events, please visit us at praisecc.org.